I hear the word of the Lord as we have it in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 to 26. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land surely now will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren exiled and put away. But who has brought these up? Behold, I was left alone, and where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. As you know, in the study of the prophecy of Isaiah, we're looking at... uh, uh, the children of Israel and uh, another exodus, uh, exodus uh, out of Babylon's return to the land. The presence of God is seen in the land. It's a great reminder to all of us uh, uh, that uh, journeys have uh, great difficulties uh, that summons us to faith and to trust God. Uh, it's also good, uh, I think, to remember what God has for us at the end. What does the end of our journey look like? How will things work out? Uh, The journey for the children of Israel uh, was uh, arduous. Uh, The journey of the church is arduous. And so the prophet Isaiah brings to us a reminder of the end state, of what the end state is going to look like when we arrive in our heavenly destination in our eternal home. 
Our text is a, uh, is a complaint uh, followed by a very long answer that has in its simplicity a promise of our destination and what our destination is going to look like. Uh, Zion, uh, if you look at the text, uh, beginning chapter 49, uh, 14th verse, uh, brings a complaint before God that God has uh, forsaken her and God has forgotten her. Interesting, isn't it, that the scriptures give to us a complaint. Uh, we oftentimes in the Christian faith complain. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's wrong in and of itself. Uh, a number of the Psalms, in fact, probably the largest number of the Psalms are entitled Lament Psalms. The psalmist is complaining. I'm just simply suggesting it's not wrong in and of itself to complain. It's what you do with the complaint that becomes a critical issue. So uh, we're going to look at the complaint and then spend most of the time looking at the answer to the complaint. It's an answer that should uh, perhaps abide over all of our complaining. The journey is difficult, uh, but God's going to remind us of the destination and in and of itself, the destination is to aid our faith and perhaps to cause us to be careful about complaining uh, to the God of heaven in light of all of his grace. Uh, another great complaint in the scriptures, uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. Uh, the saints have been martyred, a number of them martyred before the throne of God, and they, they complain. How long, O Lord, faithful and true? Well, God answers their complaint, of course, but it's good for us to remember that in that question, how long, O Lord, God is faithful and God is true. Always faithful, always true. It's a reminder that the end point of uh, the promised land for us uh, is the answer uh, to all of our questions, ultimate questions, and of course to our every complaint. So let's look at the divine answer. It's really threefold. Uh, the first is theological, verses 15 to 16. Uh, the second, verses 17 to 23, God's going to vindicate his people. Uh, lastly, we have verses 24 to 26, uh, the defeat of uh, the enemies of the people of God. Uh, contextually, uh, the text is a near promise uh, to the children of Israel and their return from exile. Uh, unfortunately, many would not shake off their comforts in Babylon. They refused to leave. So there's a failure of faith in light of the nation. Uh, if you have occasion, you can read uh, the books of the Nehemiah and Ezra uh, to discover that even those who returned to the land had a number of great difficulties. Uh, they did not respond in faith. Therefore, my own understanding of the greater promise is distant. Has a near fulfillment in Israel. Some did return, uh, but has a greater, more ultimate, distant fulfillment uh, that breaks upon the church. And it's really what I want to try to do this morning is to shape uh, the answer that was near to Israel and, and make it to all of us in our own journey uh, to the greater promised land and eternal glory. So God has an answer to our complaints. Uh, complaint is abandonment. Where is God? Well, the answer is He's near. The answer appears to the metaphor of a mother and her suckling. Can a mother forget her child? Beyond the mother, God is transcendent. I'm not unmindful in our corrupt culture. Sometimes 
mothers forget their children, abandon their children, throw their children away. But God is transcendent. He cannot forget his children. He does not forget his children. He remembers them perpetually, eternally, and throughout all time. He cannot forget his sons and daughters. That's an impossibility for God to forget. If he could forget, he would not be God. It's a reminder from this very common human metaphor of the love of a mother for her child that God is much greater. He remembers his sons and his daughters. His uh, delight is upon them. And in the midst of all of their journeys, he will care for them, preserve them, keep them, and protect them because our God never forgets us. Uh, it's a reminder, I think, that breaks uh, upon us from the Psalter, Psalm 37. Verse 28, if you have your Old Testament, trust you do. Again, Psalm 37, 28 verse. The Lord does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. Reminder as well from the words of our great and only Redeemer, Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 8, Jesus Christ, of course, the same yesterday, today, and forever, but look at verse 5. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The immutable Christ who can never change, always with us, always by our side. His presence abides with us. That's a reminder again of the presence of God in the midst of our journey. I'm not unmindful that sometimes difficult, uh, but again, the presence of Christ, uh, the abiding promise, uh, keeps us and preserves us, reminding us of the end state and our destination. Uh, secondly, in terms of God remembering us, another, me another metaphor, God has inscribed Zion on the palms of his hands, and the walls of the city are continually, continually before him, verse 16. This second metaphor speaks to a memory device by which God really has no need. God doesn't need to tie a string around his finger. He doesn't need to get his daytimer out. Uh, doesn't need to check a calendar. He has no need of those things because he's God. But it is a reminder in these human metaphors of the majesty of God uh, that uh, we are forever before him, uh, continually before him. Good illustration of this, book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, the 10th verse. Abraham, of course, is called by God to leave his family, to leave his country, and to go out. And what is he to go out for? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. It's exactly what we are looking for. In our journey, we are looking for that heavenly city looking for the provision of God, looking for the promise of God to find its ultimate fulfillment in the city of Zion. And so how is that promise fulfilled? Again, the book of the Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, perhaps as the journey breaks upon you in a very difficult way in the week, to have in week to come, you can remember that that city 
It's going to come. Nothing can stop it. Uh, the hand of God will make it so, and the power of God is the assurance that is every promise that that city will come and gather us unto its walls in the majesty of the glory of the God uh, who builds and who has made this eternal city. Again, the promises of God that speak to the end state of our journey should sometimes quiet our complaints and break upon us to be faithful because we know that God is faithful. And the promise of that coming city, the end state, is again uh, something that should uh, break upon our own remembrance uh, that God will make it happen and that we can continue faithful. The real answer to this complaint is that God will see us to the end. And that prospect of the end should hold us faithful in the traces of our present journey. I, I suspect more often than not, uh, we, uh, we have a way of forgetting God. Uh, the prophet's reminding us he never forgets us. His abiding love is forever upon us. And may his own continual remembrance of us provoke us all the more to remember him and to abide faithful in light of what is to come. Well, the second answer uh, to this complaint to the children of Israel, uh, verses 17 to 23, is that God is our ultimate vindication. Uh, he's going to make it right for his people. Uh, we may suffer in our journey. We will suffer in our journey. Sometimes the church is martyred in its journey. Uh, God will vindicate his people. Zion, again, verses 17 to 23, is seen as empty and the people of God defeated. It's exactly what happened in the invasion of Babylon. The uh, city was uh, defeated, destroyed. People carried off. The city, if you will, emptied uh, for the most part. The vessels of the temple carried away uh, to a pagan land. And so, has God failed? Uh, the God of Babylon, Marduk, was he the ultimate conqueror? And all our hopes are going to be dashed. No, God, God's going to vindicate his people. The invasion cost Israel many sons. God says in verse 17, your enemies will depart and your sons will return, verses 18 to 23. Uh, Zion is told to look and see her sons gathered that they will come and the city will be as a bride adorned with the promise of many sons. In New Testament theology, the church is the bride of Christ. In Isaiah, the sons will fill Zion so much so that they will say, it's cramped, it's too crowded here. Maybe some of us should leave. Indicate a total reversal of past sieges and the cost of human life. Verse 20. It's a, it's a great reminder of the power of God. It's uh, going to fill the city. Uh, so much so, there'll be a different complaint. It's too crowded here. Maybe we should... Uh, uh, maybe we should leave. Uh, again, it's just reminding uh, the people of the promise of God to make all of his sons return to their heavenly home, to fill the city uh, in an incredible way with incredible numbers. Again, the promise, the promises of God. Uh, again, look at verse 20. This place is too cramped. Make room for me that I may live here. We... Uh, have a number of very large cities in the United States of America. 
think of Los Angeles, New York City. They don't even begin to compare what heaven will be like. The new Jerusalem, filled with all of the fullness of God with the sons of God, desirous to live in the greatest city of all time. Uh, mindful that uh, throughout civilization, uh, people encounter difficulties, and more often than not, they gravitate to great cities. Uh, city planners have difficulties providing and uh, providing city services and all the things that they need to do with a burgeoning population. God doesn't have those problems. He simply makes it so. The city will be filled, and we will rejoice to be in the place that God has planned for us. Greater question, verse 21, where did all my sons come from? Uh, the city begins to have another question. Where in the world did all these people come from? The fullness of, of uh, the greatest immigration event of all time. Uh, the church journeying to her heavenly home. The answer again, divine, verse 22. Uh, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Uh, God is going to work and gather his sons and his daughters. Uh, the banner here is the banner of God, if you will, the flag of God. Uh, something maybe of a military metaphor. In ancient times, uh, armies would carry their flags into battle to signal. Certainly they were a signaling place of the presence of the commander. Uh, God's going to set his flag out. And uh, his, his children will know it's time to go to him, time to immigrate, to move, that God is there, and I'm going to go and to be where God is. The point is that God will call his sons from the nations, and both Jew and Gentile, and they will come. They cannot be kept from coming. The entire league of the forces of demonic power will try to keep them from coming, but they're in omnipot they are not powerful enough to stop. Uh, the word of God and the power of God in bringing many sons to glory. Very interesting that the reality of this is, uh, I think, has a beginning greater fulfillment in uh, the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of John. I, I suspect a text that many of you are very, very familiar with, John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day the people fleeing to Christ, coming to Christ, drawn by the Father. That's expressed, I think, in a very beautiful way, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 32. And if I be lifted up from the earth, again, a reference, uh, cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. All of the elect will be drawn to the Savior and ultimately be drawn into the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. And they cannot be kept from coming because of the power of God. God will draw them, and they will come. And they will come because God has drawn them. And they cannot be kept from coming. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, in the 10th verse, speaks to this in a measurable way. Hebrews 2, verse 10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. 
the power of Christ will bring all of his sons to glory. None will be lost. The city will be filled. John has something of an understanding of that number. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. A number so vast John says, innumerable. Abraham is told, it will be as the stars of the sky, sand of the seashore. Sometimes cities brag about their population numbers. It wasn't too long ago, Oklahoma City used to brag about its land mass. One of the largest cities in the world, Oklahoma City, imagine that. But here is a city filled with a number so great, comparatively speaking, to the, the stars of the sky. Anybody know that number? No, you don't. It's a number too vast. Cannot comprehend it. That's the power of God in bringing many sons to glory. Difficult, I think, on occasion to comprehend that in the city because the ambient light prevents you to see the incredible majesty of the stars. Uh, sometimes go into the country uh, where there's not a lot of ambient light and you can look up and see incredible numbers of stars. If you have a telescope, you can even see more. If you have powerful telescopes, you can see constellations, a number so vast you couldn't number. And so it will be in the city of God. God will gather all of his people and they will uh, flee into the city and come to the majesty of their eternal destination. And it is that that Isaiah is speaking to us about to hold us and to check sometimes our complaints. Oh, will I get there? Oh, will I make it? Oh, what will it be like? Well, you're going to get there in the power of God. And it will come as a bride uh, for husband, and the number will be so vast as the sand of the seashore. Power of God. The crowd will include nobility that will guard and nurse the immigrants, that will show obeisance and submission to the royal city. Again, for us, the ultimate reality is that Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, the new Zion. The text reads that they will bow down and lick the dust of your feet. Again, look at the vindication of the power of God, first part of verse 23. They'll bow down to you with their faces to the earth. Yeah, lick uh, the dust of your feet. The vindication of the sons of God. In some respects, it doesn't have a, a way of breaking upon us, I think, in the fullness of that reality in the United States. Who knows? It may well be someday. But you go to distant places of the world where Christians are suffering martyrdom or being punished and persecuted. Imagine being a Christian in North Korea and reading that verse. How it should break upon us. Uh, the fact that God has an answer. God will vindicate us, make it all right, destroy our enemies. 
Zion is elevated to preeminence. Once the object of scorn, God will restore her. It is his city. He will rule there. The, the Apostle John has a way, as he alludes to this text, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9, of reminding us, the church, of our vindication. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. We will flee into the city and uh, all of our enemies will come and bow down before the church uh, and they will reckon uh, that God has set his eternal love upon us. It is that again, uh, the shaping uh, of the destination, what it looks like, that's to keep us from being overcome by our complaints that the greatness and the fullness of the promise of God await us at the end. Uh, again, I love this phrase, and to know that I have loved you. Uh, the love of God from eternity past that captured our hearts in the cross, uh, that uh, brings us to faith in the power of the Spirit, and the end state uh, that we will receive eternal glory, and those who have persecuted the church will know for certain that the eternal love of God has been set upon his sons and his daughters forever and ever. It's very ironic in Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, because ethnic Jews who opposed Jesus and were persecuting the church will be made to submit. Again, the reminder that our enemies will be made to bow and to reckon that God is our vindicator that God loved us throughout all time, and the affections of God will take us home uh, to the greatest city of all time. The illustrative uh, of the reality of our final vindication, uh, the city is full and all acknowledge her king. And even, even our arch enemy will experience a measure of what the prophet Isaiah is speaking to us uh, in regards uh, to our ultimate enemy. Uh, Apostle Paul speaks to this, Revelation uh, chapter 16. Pardon me, Romans chapter 16, the 20th verse. We are beset upon all along the way in our journey by powerful spiritual forces. Now, what is their end state? Pardon me, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Every enemy will be made to heal before the church. All our detractors, scoffers, all who have persecuted us will be made to heal. Even Satan will be crushed under the feet of the church. The majesty of God vindicating his people. The prophet, in this regard, as he's uh, describing to us the promise of God, is, is giving to us uh, answers to our complaints, reminding us of our destination and all of its glory. He's also giving us a measure of present conduct, how to live in the journey, how to keep moving forward, 
Isaiah 49, latter part of verse 23. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. It's a very climactic assertion. It is a description of the people of God. Isaiah says, those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. Descriptive of the church. Uh, we're to wait, we're to keep waking, waiting, knowing that it's in God's hands. He'll make it happen. He will restore us to our city. He will vindicate us before our enemies. To keep waiting for the Lord. It's a life of faith. It's a challenge of faith. One of the challenges to... Uh, uh, to us in our faith is our culture, uh, pretty much almost everything in our culture is instantaneous. I think in many respects, in a very indirect way, with the power of technology, we're taught almost explicitly that we don't have to wait for anything. You want an answer to something, just Google it. And the answer's there. We know what our instinct looks like. Uh, we know that's the ultimate answer. Again, uh, our answer is to wait, to wait upon the Lord. The people of God are those who wait for him. It's one of the greatest failings of men. They can't wait. And they leave the traces. They leave the journey. Must not be our failing. Again, the great uh, promises of God that... Uh, break upon Israel and their consolation, beginning Isaiah chapter 40, teaches Israel to wait. The chapter ends, chapter 40, verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a summons to the last great exodus to wait upon the Lord. And the strength of God will bear us up all along the way waiting upon the Lord, knowing that our final end is not yet, but it is coming, and that God is faithful uh, to his people. In our exodus, we must move forward in the traces, waiting for that ultimate consummation. Uh, remember the end, the destination, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, the city as a bride adorned for her husband. It has a way of holding us. Uh, in the midst of our complaints, in the midst of the journey, has a power all of its known uh, to look at the instate, to peek at it. The greatest city of all time hasn't come yet, but it will. And it will be made full as the sand of the seashore for the people of God. And all of our enemies will bow before the church and God will vindicate us. Uh, the prophet concludes uh, this section with the outcome. The ones waiting will not be put to shame. The two, if you will, go together. Duty. We have a duty as Christians to wait upon the Lord. What's the promise? We will not be put to shame. God will right every wrong. He will fix every inequity. He will defeat all our enemies. Even Satan will be crushed. Uh, we won't be ashamed. We'll be exalted as the sons of God. Uh, waiting is a synonym for faith. Trusting God. 
acknowledging the difficulties all along the way, that the end state is worth waiting, continuing to move forward, walking by faith. In the end we win, God will make it so. A couple of uh, reminders uh, from other biblical literature to the psalmist. Uh, Psalm 25 in verse 3. Number of psalms speak to waiting upon the Lord, trusting God that he'll work it out. And so it is, Psalm 25 and verse 3, Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. None. None of those who wait for the Lord will be ashamed. Just another verse of countless verses throughout the scripture, Psalm 37 the ninth verse. Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Descriptive of our present conduct. We know the end. We know what it's going to look like because Isaiah tells us Zion will be full. The sons and the daughters of God will be there. In the interim time, we wait for him, trusting him, walking by faith. Uh, the section closes, verses 24 to 26, with the cataclysmic defeat of the enemies of the church, the enemies of the people of God. Uh, begins with uh, another question. Again, Isaiah chapter 49 uh, verse 24, can the prey be taken from the mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Near fulfillment, the children of Israel, uh, we're in bondage by the most powerful nation of the earth, Babylon. How can we be rescued? Now, the redemptive parallel, of course, is uh, children of Israel in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh was one of the most powerful forces uh, civilized world, and God sends Moses to rescue the people, to show his power. You may be in some seemingly intractable difficulty in your life. How can you be rescued? How can you make it to your eternal home? The prophet's going to tell you God can rescue his people, forgets none of those who belong to him. It begs the question as to whether God can really rescue his people. Uh, the mighty and the powerful seem to hold us. God will rescue us. Greatest rescue mission of all time. It's already begun. Uh, great story of this in uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. Uh, context is the power of Christ over the forces of demons. Uh, that attempt to destroy the church. Uh, Jesus said, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? It's exactly what Christ is doing in the present age. He's coming into the house of the strong man and binding him and plundering the house of the strong man and carrying away the property, namely us, saving his people binding Satan so he can no longer deceive the church. And that binding, again, is an expression 
of the power of God to rescue his people. Again, the power of God to rescue his people that he prevents Satan from deceiving the church. He's the deceiver of the whole world, if you will, but not the church. He cannot deceive the church because Satan has bound him. He's plundering his house. It's a picture, again, of a mighty man, a strong man. Christ, a powerful man, he breaks the door down and takes everyone that he wants and leaves because of his power, the greatness of his mercy. By the way, that's exactly how you were brought into the faith. He came and he carried you off. The power of his grace prevented Satan from destroying you. The grace and the power of God. Again, these are things that should hold us in our present difficulties, reminding us that God has already started the greatest rescue mission of all time as he's plundering this earth and gathering all of his people. And in the end, our enemy will suffer catastrophic defeat. It's kind of a gory defeat. Isaiah 49, verse 26. And I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they'll become drunk with the, their own blood as with sweet wine. Self-cannibalism, if you will, of those who have messed with the people of God. The irony is that they were bloodthirsty for the church and they will become drunk with their own blood. Again, God defeating the enemies of the church. It's our reminder that God is omnipotent in judgment. All will know that God is our Savior and Redeemer and the Mighty One. Again, uh, it's a very dark end awaits for those who mess with the people of God who try to prevent them from being faithful, who try to harm them or hurt them. This is their end state. The judgment and the power of God are destroying every enemy of the church. In the current life in which you and I are alive, Jesus is plundering the house of the strong man. And when he's finished plundering, he will destroy his every enemy. And all will be made to heal before him, acknowledging the greatness and the majesty of his glory and power. Our instate has started in eternal life. We're moving to the city drawn by the Spirit, and God will defeat our in every enemy. Remember a number of years ago, reading the account of uh, Joseph Stalin, someone uh, reminded him to be very careful of uh, messing with uh, one of the great numerous denominations of, of, uh, of, uh, of our own world. Stalin, uh, always quick to cast aspersion upon the church. Uh, how many divisions did the Pope have? Meaning that he was more powerful. Uh, but none are more powerful than our Savior and Redeemer. And none can resist the power of Christ to save his people. And they will all be made to heal, to acknowledge Christ saves his people. And they will all be made to acknowledge that the victory of Christ in gathering his people is absolute, total, supreme, and will break upon the fullness of our joy. By the way, if you're not a Christian, perhaps these are verses that you should reread, ponder. 
in a very direct way, the prophet Isaiah has described your own instate, self-cannibalism. Uh, perhaps it's a time to surrender, a day to come to Christ, a day to acknowledge that Christ is greater, to acknowledge that his provision and sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood uh, for the remission of your sins, to flee to the grace of God as moved by the power of God, to have your name written upon the rolls of the greatest city of all time, the New Jerusalem. Uh, the people of God will be there. None will be lost. Again, uh, that's the, the promise of uh, the instate of judgment, but also, again, the promise of the instate of the victory of the church in the greatest city of all time yet to come. But it will come, and it will be filled. And all who belong to Christ will be there. And none will be lost. And they will achieve the fullness of the victory of the glory of the sons and the daughters of the living God. Well, our text uh, began uh, with a complaint. Uh, not unmindful that uh, each of us in different ways, different venues, different occasions uh, complain in life. The scriptures come and they answer us. The answer of the prophet Isaiah is decisive. Uh, wait for the Lord. His city is coming for you. You will be there. You will have no regrets that you're there. And your every enemy will be made to heal. And you will again partake forever throughout all of time of the glory of the sons of God. The instate of what the city looks like has a way of calming us, keeping us faithful, reminding us that God will keep us and preserve us. And may that instate be the ultimate answer to our complaints. Uh, I do remind you that he is worthy of the wait. And the outcome of the wait is, in many respects, a present cure for our many complaints. And may God so bless us with that present cure in Jesus Christ and his coming city.